You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Rob Fonte. I'm a leadership development consultant and coach with more than 20 years experience in leading teams. For more information about me or how you can subscribe to the show, please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. Now enough about me. Today's guest is Jim Wentworth, who is a vice president of sales for an organization working in the manufacturing space. Jim's leadership experience spans across 23 years, both in the healthcare industry as well as the beverage industry. Jim, welcome to the Jam Session. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to jam? I'm ready to jam. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> it's probably different than the kind of jam that I do, but I uh, enjoy music, but let's let's do some leadership jam. You are, right? I, I know you told me as we were preparing that you are a, uh, you do some singing. I, I do try to be out in front with a microphone mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with a local band. Yes. <laughs> so when you take over a team and you try to win them over, do you kind of sing and... and Actually, uh, I have played, um, I'm a very beginner guitar player. I tried it to learn over the last year. And yes, when the COVID hit, believe it or not, we were bringing on some new hires. And as you know, with with, what everyone's dealing with in the world right now, we had to do some of our training over uh, Zoom. And one one of the sessions we had to just kind of liven it up is we did like a name that tune and we did some, some, and I actually played guitar and sang poorly and probably played poorly too. Did you really? I wow. did, yeah. For, yeah, yeah. So team had hadn't even met me really face to face outside of some interviews because I'd done some interviews in Dallas right before the COVID, and we made offers to sue some uh, account managers, and then we went right into lockdown. And so, uh, in order to kind of break the ice, I I broke out the guitar and put a bad voice on it and really bad guitar playing, but I kind of put <laughs> myself out there. That's fantastic. So you so you were new to the team, new to the yeah. Organization and yeah, so I, the organization I'm with right now, it's about one year today. Yeah, wow. Yep. Yeah. So let me ask you this because this is something I do hear a lot about in today's environment. Now, you know, we're, we're hiring new employees and managers haven't even had a chance to meet them. Mm-hmm. What would you say is um, most important now that leaders really do need to possess leadership skills to manage your teams today? We talk about trust is uh, it probably gets thrown around an awful lot, right? But there are members of my team that haven't even met their counterparts outside of being on a Zoom call or Microsoft Teams. To fully engage in the trust platform, it's really hard to say, well, I've, I've only interviewed the individual, but I've now spent uh, the last eight or nine months with them and all of my communications have been over some type of video Zoom chat, right? So it's really hard, I mean, I can imagine it's really hard to really get authentic leadership and trust just over a video. How important is that to you? I mean, you've had a lot of years of management experience. So I'm just curious, what would you say is the most important, you know, your most important leadership principles? For me, it's authenticity. I I think that uh, one of the things that that I really try to do is, is try to understand when someone joins my team at any level, I try to understand why they're there and why they're motivated, what motivates them, like what, what gets them up in the morning and why did they join the organization that I get the opportunity to lead? Because then you can really tap into the, what the brilliance is. I mean, there are some people that are motivated by winning. There are some people that are motivated by money. There are some people that are just motivated by rewards and recognition. There are some people that are just motivated by the fact that they're working and they enjoy people. And so you have to tap into what they're really motivated by and then try to work to what that is, right? I mean, I think when I first joined the industry, like 
you know, 28 years ago, I didn't spend all of my time in the manufacturing space. I had spent five years in the beverage industry where I kind of cut my teeth in leadership and you were kind of taught to one style of leadership. Right? And the reality is if you lead a team of five or if you lead a team of 5,000, you really have to have five or 5,000 styles because everybody brings a very different motivation and incentive for why they're there working for that organization. And if you can't tap into a large percentage, I mean, you're not going to have 5,000 different styles, but you have to understand there's going to be probably eight to 10 different styles that you may have to deal with as a leader. How difficult was that for you to try to change your style? When you're in the beverage industry, we had a saying, stack them high and watch them fly. Right? So I worked for one of the big two soft drink companies. I'll just say that, right? right. So, so that I don't, I don't bias my flavor of soft drink. It wasn't the adult beverage industry. It was the soft drink industry. And we talked about stack them high and watch them fly. And so all the metrics were around just boxes and cases and liters and ounces. And so you had pretty much one leadership principle, right? You would give an objective and you would measure to that particular objective. And you kind of sent them out in their route trucks. And if they came back at 4 o'clock or 4 a.m., as long as they hit that box volume goal, it was a good day. And that's kind of how, again, this is 27, 28 years ago. It's kind of the way you were trained. So you were trained basically to manage the process. Yeah. I think manage, it's interesting, right? Because I'm sure that you, you teach us yourself. There's managers and there's leaders. And I would say that I started my leadership journey in the middle of my beverage experience. But uh, it took a couple of years to grasp um, how much more effective I probably could have been early on in my career. Well, I give you a lot of credit because, you know, when you're first becoming a manager, and I just even think back to my first team, you know, those first couple of years, you're very impressionable. You get trained one way, very difficult to ever change that. And even though you said that was, you know, 25 or 28 years ago, yeah. there are many managers out there that manage by process. Yeah. But I give you a lot of credit for making that change. What did that change? Because typically, most would just keep going on that path if that's yeah, how they were trained. I, um, I, I don't know what the switch was. I knew that I was ineffective. And I knew that there needed to be some modifications of my own behavior. Uh, there had to be modifications in listening. We always talk about listening being the key to any type of relationship. It's even more critical when you're trying to lead people towards a common goal. If you're, I don't know who said it, might have been Steve Jobs, might have been Steve Jobs. You know, he always said, don't, don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. Hire smart people and let them tell you what to do. And, and that was a bit of the shift that I allowed myself to make early on in my career. Now, it takes a village sometimes and it takes really strong leaders to give you feedback. And I had some really strong role models throughout the entire 28 years, 23 in the manufacturer space. But again, there were five in the beverage industry. And there were also, I would say, people that were not great examples of leadership, right? But you learn from both. Any stories you can share about, because you said you got some feedback early on. Yeah. Right. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah. The, the, um, so this particular, I'll go back to the beverage industry. And this okay. is, again, it's got to be 27 or 20. Might even be a little bit longer. It could be 29, Rob. I'm not sure exactly. I was a district manager at this time. So I came into the beverage industry as a, uh, I'll tell you the whole story if you don't have, if we have time, right? Oh, yeah. Plenty. So um, I was a, a football player at Syracuse University. A lot of Division One programs would have their athletes stay on campus for the summer and then the school would source summer jobs for them so they could keep them on campus. So for two summers, I was placed into this beverage industry, and I was pretty much, um, you know, stock 
right? So I would follow the trucks around and I would go into a Wegmans or a stop and shop and I would stock the shelves or build displays. During those two years, I hopefully demonstrated that I had work ethic and I had some integrity. And so when I graduated on, well, I went to the, the last bowl game I ever played on was January 1st of 1990. Well, it turns 1992 on January 1st. Uh-huh. And three days later, I was in a pair of jeans and I was in a, you know, back then I wasn't really dressing for success because I didn't think I was going in to get a job. Right. I went to see who was a mentor at the time. His name, and I will mention his name. His name was Ronnie Hoffman. He was the sales manager of this particular franchise bottler. And I sat across from them. I wasn't dressed for success. I wasn't understanding that this might actually be a business opportunity. And he looked at me and said, uh, you ready to come work for me? And I, I didn't know job. I just came back from the bowl game. I was in the, the, the Hall of Fame bowl two days prior. And um, is that is that what the bowl? Game yeah, was? I was, oh, at, wow. it was the last time I, I played was it was uh, Syracuse versus Ohio State. And I came back with no career plans, no plan, no resume, really no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I just happened to have time because I had graduated. And I went across to see Ron. I sat across from him in his office. He said, you're going to come work for me. I never asked what my salary was. I never asked what I was going to do. And what he said was, we're starting the first management training program within this particular franchise bottler. And I pretty much spent a year in the warehouse, back out in front of the customer, payroll. He put me through all kinds of roles, and uh, I grew in to be a district manager. And in the beverage industry, a district manager would mean you have five to ten route salespeople. Was he somebody that that along your journey provided you feedback and helped shape and molded you? Yeah. So I had been a district manager now. Let's say I was like on my third year working for Ron, and I, and I don't mind sharing Ron's name because he's someone that had such an impact on my life. Mm-hmm. And during the holiday time in the beverage industry, displays are huge, right? You can walk into a stop and shop or a Wegmans or any of those stores right now, and coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas, you will see great deals on the soft drinks, and then you'll see massive displays. We're talking 25, 2,600 case displays that will take an entire day. And I was asked to build this one display with like three or four other of the members of my team. We built this beautiful thing. We had TVs in it. It might have been for the Super Bowl. I'm not sure exactly what holiday it was. And we had like TVs in it. And it, it, was, it was just all jazzed out. And I was so proud of myself. And I see Ron again. He gave a big wave to the store manager. The store manager gave him a big thumbs up. And the store manager, I think, was even proud about what I was building in the front of his store. And Ron walked toward there and he stopped. He looked at me. He had a smile on at first. And he said, okay, I'm going to show you something. And he said, take a look back here and I want you to look down at the tiles. If you look at the tiles and I want you to look at that display, it was off about a quarter of an inch on the tiles. So this display should have lined up directly on the grout and it was not directly on the ground. It bowed in a little bit at the end. And the, the lesson was, obviously, I didn't pay attention to details because as we, I, you know, I didn't set the foundation properly. And, and uh, he, he could have told me to rebuild it right there. Mm-hmm. The kind of leader Ron was, was he pretty much took his jacket off, got the six or seven, and he said, we're going to rebuild this right now. And we probably stayed there till seven, eight o'clock at night and rebuilt that entire display. Together. 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 And that's just the kind of leader he was. And his words were even as powerful as his actions. Right. And uh, I pretty much got his point that night after we might have shared a, a libation later that night. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you reflect back now, because, yeah. you know, with all the years he has as managing 
do you see that similar leadership style in terms of how you approach your people now? You know, you started off by saying in the, in the beverage industry, it was kind of like, you know, stack them. What did you say it was? Stack them high and watch them fly. And watch them fly. Yeah. Right? It was more of a process mm-hmm. approach. But it sounds like your mentor, your boss, Ron, yeah. didn't take that approach at all. Well, I, I think he, he certainly grew up because he was um, he was older than me by 20, 30 years, right? He, he, he certainly was he was brought into the, to the space. He was a lifelong beverage leader. And I think he was highly process-focused, but he also had this innate ability to make a connection with the customer and to understand quality and uh, preciseness, right? He was, he was good there, and then he, he taught that to me, right? And, he, and again, it wasn't even on the feedback. It was in the actions yeah. and watching his actions. So I tried to learn from that as I stepped away from the beverage industry, and then I stepped into what was a completely different space. I go from selling flavored water to now joining a company that would be, um, you know, in therapeutic areas of diabetes and, and respiratory. Right. one of the first areas I jumped into. You talked about earlier about authenticity being so important. Yeah. I try to get deeper into the understanding. I talked about their motivation, right? But I try to, I try to also understand what mo- – I want people to understand what motivates me as yeah. well, right? And I try to make a deeper connection with people because the reality is as hard as we try – People say, don't take your work home. Yeah. Everybody is taking their work home. And in, in today, our work is home. Mm-hmm. There were many a days that I probably went home and I wasn't married at the time, but I, I might have been in the dating scene, right? I can't imagine that I wasn't bringing Ron and the examples, good or bad, back into my home. And so I want to know a little bit more about someone's... Again, you, you can't pry, right? But mm-hmm. you, you want to understand, like I always say this every day, Everybody has their own individual story. Everybody walks into your life every single day, and they are absolutely dealing with something that you may or may not be aware of, and it is going to impact their performance. could be in a positive way or it could be in a negative way. And I think we have to start realizing that people have lives outside of their work life. And so if you can tap into what that might be, and it takes a lot of time to do that, and it takes trust. It helps you to have deeper conversations with them, even when times are really, really good, what, what's driving this really positive behavior, and how do we model it, or the behaviors don't appear to be up to par, and what's following is also the poor performance. Mm. But if you, you know, if you start with just the performance versus what's going on in your life today? Like, mm-hmm. is there something that's preventing you? I just kind of want to tap it. If you can tap into that, right? But it takes trust. It takes authenticity. And if you're going to be authentic, that means you have to share a little bit about your own individual motivations. What are you motivated by? And I've often found, don't be afraid to, you know, to share with people what you're not really good at. Because, you yeah. know, don't fake the funk. Because the reality is, as a leader, if you try to fake the funk, people are really, really smart. They'll sniff yeah. out They'll sniff it out pretty quickly, and then then you're just going to start from you're going to start from zero again to rebuild that trust. So you know, I I try not to fake the funk with anybody, and I try to be really authentic about the fact what I think I'm really good at, mm-hmm. and where my gaps are. You know what? I think that's so true. I mean, when you take over a team, like from day one, the clock starts. Oh yeah. And your employees are just trying to figure out: is he the real deal, or is he just full of crap? I think that's uh, being vulnerable and kind of sharing. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not. Yeah, I think it's so key. There's the other side of, of the argument here around, well, you can't really get too close to your employees because that's mm. just not effective whatsoever. 
What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's 1974. I mean, I completely agree. I love the term 1970s. I mean, that's, that's, it's so true. <laughs> and again, as you said before, there's a fine line, right? You don't want to, there's some employees that don't, you can't pry, but, but just even asking, as yeah. you said before, just even, hey, what's going on? It sends a message that you care. I tried. I will tell you that I'm, I'm not as successful. I mean, obviously, the larger your teams get, the harder this becomes. But um, if, if someone has a, a partner or a spouse trying to ask and try to memorize their name, if there are children in the relationship, right, trying to recognize. And uh, another really good leader that I had in the industry, and you may even heard this, and I'm, I'm proud to say this gentleman's name as well, is a gentleman by the name of John Harrington. And that might give away a little bit about my experiences, but again, John Harrington, um, he was a vice president of sales, vice president of market access, but business unit head. And, you know, I was a product manager at the time in marketing. And every day, John would get off the elevator. And a lot of times in these, in these large manufacturers, you know, you see people go right to their office, they're on their cell phone, and someone in Europe is yelling at them, right? John would make time. If he was on the phone in the elevator, he would get off his phone. And John, I used to call it Cubeland. John would weave in and out of Cubeland, and he would make you feel important that day if you happen to catch his eye. And I can't tell you how many times he said to me, hey, Jim, how's Michelle? Never met my wife. Hmm. How's Michelle? But he had asked me at one time what my wife's name was, and I had said Michelle. And then we all would always talk football because he was a Notre Dame fan. But then he would move on from me, and he would even go to members that weren't even members of his of his marketing team. Just a real special leader. And I am sure people talked about that. So in the industry, there I can tell you that we've gone to a lot of conferences, and we've Many of the folks that I started with in my first 22 years in the industry, again, we have, you know, have moved on to other organizations. And I would say a leader like John Harrington, we go back and people say, did you have an opportunity or the privilege to work under John's leadership? There are many people that when they look back on their career, I said in the beverage industry, it was Ron Hoffman. When I look in the manufacturer space, it goes back to a gentleman by the name of John Harrington. Making some time to just navigate through the office, small things that went a long, long way. People, and this again, this is not my quote. I have a tendency to, you know, to value other quotes, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that was demonstrated on a daily basis if he had time. That's a great tip. Yeah. For those that hopefully will be back in an office environment one day. Just, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything else you do just to try well, to get a deeper connection? Well, I do ask the question often. Like, I, I've the first, it's probably not the first time I meet somebody, right? But if, if, if I've been working with a team, let's say that I'm going out to do in the day in the field with somebody or I'm in a marketplace and I've, I've known that individual, right? I will, I will have or try to have a deep conversation and ask that question. Like, like what really motivates you, yeah. right? Well, like, why are we able to keep you employed? Tell me why you want to stay here. That will lead to, um, a level of transparency and discussion. There are some people that are open books. I happen to be an open book. I'm, you know, I, I think I talked earlier about the fact that I, I give trust, right? Mm -hmm. There are some people you have to earn their trust. So you're not always going to break through and someone's going to give you that because they're like, well, okay, I have the vice president of sales sitting in front of me right now. Is he really interested in what I really, mo what I'm really motivated by? Or is he really trying to uncover something that isn't so apparent, right? So it all depends on the style. But I do, I ask people what motivates them. And why are you here? Because 8 to 12 hours a day is probably the average that, that many people work these days, right? It's probably even higher during COVID because you're not spending any time in the car. If you're going to do it, what, why are you doing it? Why are you motivated by doing it? It just can't simply be about the money. And so that comes back to what you're talking about. You have to have different styles. So I'm assuming that's kind of where you go to figure out how you might have to adapt and 
approach somebody differently yeah. on your team than others. Yeah, when I was when I just became in the manufacturer space now, so my first district manager assignment, I was uh, they were doing a scale up. And there was the PCPs back then. I think this was PCP6 for this organization, and I was going to scale up a team. And I got to hire half the team, and the other six I was uh, I was assigned from another PCP division. And PCP is? Primary care ah. physician team, I think is right. Right. So you were, the, the sales force was calling on primary care physicians. Yeah. And right. as you know, they've gone through many iterations of what that yes. sales team would be called. When you're spending window time with a, with a sales professional account manager, in, and you're in upstate New York, um, that can be some really lonely time if you're not making a connection with somebody. So if you're going to be going from Syracuse to Ogdensburg and you, your first appointment is in Ogdensburg, um, if you don't make an effort to make a connection with that sales professional, uh, it's going to make for an, a long ride up a long day and a long ride. So I, I try to do a little bit of research, a little bit on their background, right? And this, this one individual, I will tell you, I was I was having a hard time making a connection. A couple of, you know, uh, work with in the field as a district manager. I just feel like it. I wasn't effectively communicating. I wasn't obviously getting any stimulus from that individual. And I remember being in a meeting and I overheard him talking about bird watching. Now I've never spotted. I've never spotted a bird. I don't even. I've, <laughs> I can tell you. I don't know what bird spotting is. But I, I went home and I did a little bit of research and I'm like, I, there's a. Obviously, like some people want to climb so many peaks. There are so many people that want to white, you know, uh, whitewater raft down. Well, this individual was about spotting birds throughout the world. And I made a slight effort. I'm not going to say I put a tremendous amount of time into it. And I made an effort the next time I was in with the individual. I talked about, I think I know what you're motivated by and the spotted birds. And, and, and then, you know, immediately, like you saw the smile come on his face and he broke out this book, which I'm assuming it's the Journal of the Birds that he spotted. And, you know, we happened to be between Ogdensburg and, and, and Watertown, New York. <laughs> and it was that time of year where he's like, you know, I've been unable to spot whatever the finch bird is. I have no idea. But what it did was it, it kind of, it, what it said to this individual is, well, you, you actually have taken, whether you care or not, you've at least taken an interest in what I care about. Right. And it changed our relationship. And the dialogue was just more fruitful moving forward. I can see you and, and, <laughs> and him pulled over on a Saturday road kind of with binoculars. He had binoculars constantly in his car. Did he really? He did. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yep. He kept him in the back seat and he kept his journal or, or whatever he was spotting. And then they had to document it. And then he had to call it in. If he Now, he never spotted a bird that, that when we were doing days in the field. But, yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, you know, I think that's a fantastic story. <laughs> and it's it's But it's so true, right? It's yeah. uh, You do... You know, once you kind of demonstrate and you're taking an, an interest, yeah, right. I mean, it applies to just any any anything we do. Yeah, you, anybody we you can't with. you can't run from your past. You just can't run from it. Politicians are finding that out in election time right now. You can't run from your past. You are who you invested in the last and now 52. I I am who I am the last 52 years. I could never shy away from the fact that I was a football player. I can't run from the body six foot five, right. right, and the dent on my forehead. I can't run away from that. But the thing is, you can't always go back to that. And athletics cannot always be the motivation for the sales meeting, right? And I always tried to keep a keen eye to that, that I wasn't going to use football analogies or I wasn't going to draw on my football experience to, to try to make a connection. Because at the end of the day, I believe, and I never had that conversation, I don't believe having a, a, a relatable conversation around football would have actually changed my relationship with that individual. I had right. to find something that they were more motivated about. And then it kind of led to 
different topics. We quickly got off to bird watching to other topics and things that we're both motivated by. So you kind of have to, if you want to be a real effective leader, you, you have to kind of do your own research. Do you think that made you more effective with him in terms of coaching him? It did because it goes from, I'm telling you how I'd like to see you process or operate on the sales call to, hey, Jim, what do you think? How would you, how would you have made that sales call more effective? Because we were starting to build that trust. Now, I completely agree. I mean, I know just from being a district manager and having those long windshield drives with, <laughs> with your people in the car, right? Yeah. You can really use that time very effectively yeah. to try to get a better understanding. And if you do that windshield time in some of the parts of the country, you, you know this, Rob. There are places in this country that they're absolute no-see. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, some parts of New York, anyways. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There are parts of New York that are really hard to, yeah. to uh, be able to demonstrate your craft. Yeah. Uh, if you're not making a connection on that day and you're doing a two-day with somebody, that can make for a long, long two days. Oh, yeah. 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 Now yeah. no, I know. It could be exhausting. Yes, it can. You're wired for that or you're not. I agree with you. You know, getting a deeper connection with your employees certainly can change the way the quality of the relationship is. Mm -hmm. And you could be a far more effective leader in coaching them, which in essence helps them to be better. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that, because again, you worked in, ho in a home office environment, I have too, and it's a shame you don't get the amount of time that you would if you were kind of more in the field with some of that downtime. And I often wonder, you know, how much of those opportunities are missed. Yeah. In a home office environment. I have had both experiences, right, where I've been a, a customer-facing leader, and then I've spent times in other roles in the home office. And there's definitely a different feel when you go into the home office, right, because people have a tendency to come in in the morning and their head's down, and there's a lot of deliverables, right, whereas you get a little bit more time to make a connection when, you, when you're out in the field, whether it's an account manager or a sales professional, one of your regional sales directors, right, you, you normally get some time to have a talk that's not just going to be focused on the business that day. You don't really get that as much. Home office can be busy. It's busy. Yeah, and actually that gentleman, John Harrington, that I, that I referenced earlier, you know, he said at least a few times from the stage when I was young in my career, he said that the hardest role in the manufacturer space is a product manager and a product manager that's preparing for a launch. And again, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in. If you're in the consumer mm -hmm. side, the professional side, med ed, John always said that the hardest role in the organization is a product manager role. Now, I'm sure there'll be some folks that are offended by that, but that was, and, and when I look back on my experience, I don't think I ever worked any harder than my, my few years as a product manager, and one of them happened to be pre-launch on something, and so yeah. that, that was really a busy time, but fun. Did you uh, ever manage teams in a home office? I did, yeah. What did you struggle with the most? You definitely struggle getting people to transition from the field to come into home office, yeah. right? That's always, you can try to outline to someone what the experience is going to be like, but it's, it's really, um, it's just a different environment. The pace is different. Mm -hmm. The element of interaction is different. The, Did you find that coaching was harder? What I found was coaching became more prescriptive because you would book one-on-one -on -one times, right? right? So you would have, your yearly review cycle was so dictated. Now, it was always dictated in the field, but it wasn't, you know, in the home office, it felt very process-oriented. At this time, I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one with my leader, and that one-on-one -on -one would be, you know, and again, it was like 50% on their activity and maybe 50% on their behaviors. And it just, I think it was, my experience, it was more process. Yeah. Right. Okay. We're in the field. I think it's just, you know, when you're a leader in the field, 
you're just in a more casual setting because you're outside the walls. You're getting in and out of a car. You might be going in and out of a, of a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't even know Starbucks was around when I first started. <laughs> Maybe it was a Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I had uh, upstate New York yeah. uh, as well. Uh, not that many at that time. Not that many Starbucks. A lot of Dunkin' Donuts, though. Yeah. So. I, yeah, well, back then, I mean, you, they, upstate New York, I was trying to think. Because I had, I had from Syracuse at one time as a district manager, Syracuse to Messina. Oh, okay. And then if you went over the Ogdensburg Bridge, you're in Canada. Exactly. All right. So just looking back on your career, what would you say was the most successful experience you had leading teams? You know, I would say it was around product launches, mm-hmm. right? Because the one thing that you that you have to have during a product launch, and again, I was in I was in roles when I was a product manager during a product launch, and then I was in a, a higher level of responsibility during some other product launches in my career. When you get into a product launch, time is critical. And so there was a bit of a switch, right? You, I, I went more into my style becomes more direct because we had so many things to focus on. When you're in a product launch, there are so many balls in the air and nothing can drop, right? So your style, you know, you have to pivot your style at times because when you're leading a launch, and I was leading a particular launch in all the disciplines, right? So you had consumer, you had manufacturing, you had, you know, everybody would come in and you were, the, you were leading this project, right? You, your style does have to flex because time is of the essence. Now, you don't, you don't take a complete 360 from who you are as an individual. I mean, I've always tried to enter a little bit of emotion and joy and laugh into my job every day, but you, you definitely can see as the time and the clock, because every, every product team has a launch clock. I mean, tell me you've ever gone into a manufacturing, you didn't see a launch clock in the, in the leader's office, right? (laughs) And you, unfortunately, your behaviors are driven by the launch clock. And so it has a tendency to change your behavior sometimes. So right, yeah. you're kind of laughing because you've seen oh, many yeah. launch clocks in, right? Oh, I have. Everybody has them. Yep. And uh, some- My get... boss had one. I mean, just, <laughs> he just brought back some memories. I'm starting to break out in a cold sweat right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you, you um, Paul Hurst, he wrote a book years ago. It was like D1S1. This is way back. I forget the leadership. Oh, stuff. you're talking about um, uh, situational leadership. Situational leadership. Yeah, Ken me. Blanchard. Ken and Blanchard, right? Situational leadership, yep. Right, S1D1, and yeah. so you would flex in the moments, right? Obviously, it's very clear that I haven't I haven't referenced back on that book in 30 years. <laughs> it's because you're doing it intuitively, so. Well, you do, again, you draw on your experience. Uh, unfortunately, you draw on your experiences good and bad, right? There are, some, there are some experiences that you can't run from. I own 52 years of development, but it doesn't mean even at 52 years and 28 years of leadership that I don't open myself up to some element of feedback all the time. I probably said this 100 times in my life. Even the best allow themselves to be coached. In fact, I would say the best at their craft, they actually force coaching, whether it's in athletics, whether it's in music, whether it's in in anything, people, the best of their craft are always allowing themselves to be coached. Leadership is a lifelong journey of learning. Yeah. I mean, never ends. Yeah. So I want to go back just to to one thing. So the the, the whole bird watching thing. So um, (laughs) obviously you create some great uh, connections, some deep connections with with your people. I have no doubt I could just tell that your people love and enjoy working for you. I hope that's the case. <laughs> well, does that ever backfire on you? Because I know there there are probably uh, those that are listening into this right now saying, okay, yeah, I, I get that. However, but doesn't that make it even more difficult than when you have to have a difficult yeah. coaching conversation? Yeah. Does that yep. then all of a sudden kind of, you hesitate, that holds you back? So I, we haven't talked about the dark days, 
in, in 23 years, I've had a lot of great experiences, but I've also had some, some dark days as a leader. And I respect that organizations have to make resourcing decisions. And there have been times in my career where I've had to have conversations with people I've made a deep connection with. And those conversations were someone having to exit the organization, whether it was on a downsizing, right? And there have been performance conversations where someone had to be exited from the organization based on performance, right? So the And I think that's the hardest part because in the healthcare industry, you know, restructuring, downsizing is is just automatic almost, right? I mean, it just happens it's the name of the game. The performance piece, I think, is is the one that's probably the hardest yeah. because you've made deep connections and all of a sudden you've got to have some tough conversation. I don't remember when I learned this lesson. It might have been on um, when I was going to become a district manager in the industry, in the manufacturer space. At the time, we went to a place that we, were, we went to seminars, right? And we were sent down to Virginia. I won't mention the company's name because I don't even know if they're around anymore, but we went down for four or five days of situational leadership. And, and, and what I learned down there was like it's hard to have those hard conversations but if you're honest about and and you, and you have a clear expectations you've communicated your expectations clearly and you've given an individual an opportunity to see that you're as invested in their performance as they should be in their own performance and there's some autonomy to work on what the plan is and if you go down that path and the individual falls short on what the objective was it's still hard to have those conversations because ultimately what I learned was I didn't have to exit the employee. They made choices, mm-hmm. right? They made choices because, you know, they, they might say, again, this doesn't apply. You can't take a, a paintbrush and apply this to every situation. Sure. But I've, I've had to have conversations in my career where it was strictly about performance, but you had milestones that you agreed to. If someone chooses not to even participate in the milestone, right? They completely ignore the fact, did we agree that this is what you wanted to do, but you chose not to do those things. You made a conscious effort not to do those things. Like you stopped doing that activity. I'm not going to go home at night and feel guilty about something that we agreed that that Mm. you would do, right? If someone falls short of that. If someone is progressing on something you agreed, right? You give them the benefit of the doubt. But if someone is going to completely ignore something you both agreed on, was going to help your performance and you chose not to do those things. It, it, it actually is, it's never a good discussion, but it certainly, it makes it a lot harder to accept on that during the evening, you know, but you have to have those conversations. Yeah. Regardless, you know, how deep the connection is or I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's hard either way. All right. So last question, we uh, opened up with you talking about how this is a jam session and how you actually introduced yourself with your team and you actually sang a song. Yeah. Just curious. What song was that? Simple Man by Leonard Skinnerd. Oh. So it's it's only three open chords on a, an acoustic guitar, so I would never try to plug in an electric guitar. First off, people that enjoy music know that Eddie Van Halen just passed, you know, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and, and I could spend the rest of my life trying to learn how to play electric guitar, and I would only learn 1% of what an Eddie Van Halen, right? And so it's just not an instrument that, that goes well with playing and singing. You kind of have to have the bass and the, and, and the drums around you to pull off a song. The acoustic, on the other hand, allows even a beginner guitar player and an average singer. And uh, I'm not saying I'm an average singer, but I'm saying you, you can kind of pull that off. So in Simple Man by Leonard Skinner, you, you can pull that off. It's, it's just yeah. a, a minor, C, G chord or something. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at it. But So you wanted to make sure you set yourself up for success. Absolutely. If yeah. I'm, yeah, if I'm going uh, to put myself out there, yeah. I'm, I'm going to allow myself to take the easiest song and the one that I've worked on the most. But right. yeah, I did it. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. That's yeah. an awesome story. 
Well, Jim, it's been a pleasure having you come in and sit down with me and share your leadership journey. I know that a lot of my listeners out there will certainly walk away learning a tremendous amount from you. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And uh, hopefully I imparted some of my experiences, good and bad. And if, uh, you know, I always say that uh, you should give back. Like I said, there are a lot of people that that were part of my journey and allowed me to achieve what were my personal goals. And the list is too long to thank them all. But if, if anything I said here today is going to help someone in the leadership journey, then I just appreciate the opportunity. Well said. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how we can assist you through my leadership consulting company, then please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. 